Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. You should know where you are, and you should know who this is. This is Tyler Sheff, and I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And I've got with me none other than co-host extraordinaire, the Snow Bunny from Colorado, soon to be someday, maybe never, because we're probably going to retire him before he ever makes it there. But first officer, Michael Marino, how you doing? (laughs) The other co-host, you know, you're hey, the Tyler? only you're the only pilot I know that has no has reverse aspirations. Every every other pilot <laughs> in your shoes wants to be a captain, and you just want to be unemployed. <laughs> oh God. yeah, um, I got grief for my captain yesterday about that. Did you? He's like, what? He's like, you you're ready to be a captain. Why are you captain? Because I like to live. <laughs> I don't want to be a slave. I have a brain in between my ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want time so I could figure out how to not fly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, that's what happens when you get ready to marry a pretty girl. If you want to marry a fat, ugly girl, then you can be you could be, probably be a captain by now if you wanted. You have nothing else to do. There'd be no reason to go home, right? <laughs> get some angry woman that just beats on you or something. You'd be like, yep, captain, that's for me. <laughs> oh, God. Start a YouTube channel and be great. I, I got to bite my tongue with that topic. <laughs> <laughs> All the other pilots would probably strangle if you give their secrets that's away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're like Ug- ugly wife. Which one? Yeah, exactly. Which country? Which can you break it down by country? <laughs> Puerto Rico, eh, whatever it may be. So, guys, we got an interesting episode for you this week. We don't have a sp- well. Actually, Mike's going to be our special guest, which is an interesting flair in the podcast, isn't it? We have a story yeah. for you. Uh, nothing more excites me than a great entrepreneurial story. Kind of like they say, no great story ever started with a salad. Well. Normally, you would say no great story ever starts with a camper van, but we're going to change. We're going to change that this week. So, Mike, you did a thing many years ago, and a little bit of backstory for those of you that are just tuning into the Cashflow Guys podcast for the first time, and maybe you don't know, or maybe you weren't paying attention. Whatever. A lot of folks ask, how did you and Mike wind up building a business together? How did Mike get involved in Cashflow Guys? How did you? What's with this real estate investment fund? Why? How did you guys start to build uh, retirement homes for for older folks? So how did all this come to pass? And four letters, and it didn't start with FU, but four letters <laughs> started Mike and I knowing each other, later becoming friends, and now being business partners. And that was National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration (NOAA). Mike was a uh, polished young officer. Oh, come on. <laughs> Fresh out of engineering school <laughs> out in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I was the rough and tumble, salty, able-bodied seaman with a brand new captain's license out in on the ship that docked behind his in, in Hawaii. And Mike, one of the things, the best part about the story is what I have been telling people on the podcast now for, well, seven years the best and probably only way that you will really ever get a great deal on any type of real estate investment activity is to identify a problem and build a solution for it. Mm. The person that has a brand new fancy flip who's just, just put the, bought that turd and shined it up real pretty like a shiny new penny, they're looking for top dollar. So if you're out there wholesaling and you're flipping through the MLS and going, this one's pretty, and you start sending like, $100,000 offers on $500,000 houses that don't have a problem, people are going to punch you in the head verbally. Um, you got to look for problems. And when you look for problems, you can open up all kinds of opportunities, not only for you, but for the other party involved. And this story goes into that where 
Mike, you, so short story, I'm, I'm going to start it and you're going to finish it. Mike, uh, is Mike's a go getter. Otherwise he wouldn't be part of the cashflow guys family. I can assure you that, but Mike's a go getter. And when he sees an opportunity, he seizes it, if it makes sense. And he wanted to be an airline pilot or wanted to be a pilot, first of all. And I don't think it was necessarily airline, but I know your, your big draw was you wanted to fly instead of being on a ship, right? I loved being at sea. It was my favorite thing in the world, but just like any other government job, you get enough seniority, you become, uh, you know, the, the captain, the master of the ship. Right. And now the fun's gone. Now you got to push papers and deal with the admin duties. I just wanted to go out and have fun. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> As exactly. a junior officer on the ship. I mean, you remember we were running around like crazy, but I loved it. I'd stand, you know, watch during the day and the night, watch the dolphins wake me up. I mean, I absolutely love that, but I could see that the fun was going to run out. So um, Tyler knows my captain who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I was on the night watch at two in the morning one time uh, out in the middle of the Pacific. If you've never been out in the middle of nowhere, the Pacific and like see the night sky, it's unlike anything else. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, well, you, you remember, I mean, the you look behind the ship on the stern and the wake glows, glows green from all the phosphorescence. It's so magical. But anyway, so I'm up there daydreaming. <laughs> here, comes the, here comes the captain. Oh, up the ladder way, up to the bridge. Oh, oh, captain, captain's on deck. Two in the morning. I wasn't ready for this, you know. So anyway, we're just talking. And I was like, captain, if you were to do it all over again, what would you do? And she said, I would fly. She, she said, I would, because when the, if you're an aviator, the fun continues for a longer period of time than it, than it would at sea. Oh God. Yes. And it's, yeah, let's be honest. Now I had a lot of fun where I had probably more, a lot more fun than you did working for Noah, because you were a watch, you had to be in a watch standing officer. I mean, that sucks. I'm sorry, but being on the bridge, especially in the South Pacific where you don't see any, it's devoid of all human life. I mean, there's no passing ships. There's no, there's no birds. Very rarely do you see a bird. Maybe a booby flies by every once in a while, but not much happening out there. Right. It's magical. It is. But at the same time, it can be awfully monotonous. I, I remember standing watch when I was a young AB, I had to get promoted to make sure I could get the hell out of the bridge. Cause I wanted to no part of that piece. And you do, you get to thinking you're up there and hopefully you got a decent watch officer working with you or AB working with you. Cause that can be, sucky too but you're the type of guy that well, you you enjoy a challenge you're not a status quo guy mike marino will never be the status quo that's just not in your dna i i, I can yeah i'm here to tell you um so i think of tell me if i'm wrong but some of this was you had a zeal for adventure i mean you know mike you could be on you could ride a snowmobile or you could snowboard which one do you do more often yeah i'd rather snowboard exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd rather ride the ski lift <laughs> <laughs> all the way around. <laughs> you take me up, take me back down too. Cause I don't fall as good as I used to in the old days. <laughs> so but you, but you, you're right. I gotta, I gotta keep going. I love to learn new things. Yep, exactly. I love, it's just, it's an, it's an addiction and just keeps me going. Exactly. Um, and which is kind of leads me to where I ended up next. So I started flying. Right. I loved every second about it, but I even before I found out about yourself, your podcast, or even Robert Kiyosaki at the time, I was just like, ah, there's something more. I had a girlfriend at the time who was an uber entrepreneur. I'm like, God damn, I need to beat her. <laughs> so I started reading Robert Kiyosaki's books. And there was one um, 
one line, and I forget if it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Cashflow Quadrants. And it said, the most important thing for you to do to start is to think, what do I have that's free that will make me money? I'm paraphrasing, but that was pretty much the sentence. What do I currently have? What skill do you have, right? Uh, whether a skill, whether I have something, uh, a physical possession, but what do I have? So I sat on it. And uh, at the time, NOAA's aviation division was moving from McDill Air Force Base in Tampa to Lakeland, Florida. Well, wait a minute. You're getting ahead of yourself because we're all wondering, wait a minute, last time we left you, you were on a ship in Hawaii. How the hell did you get to NOAA's aviation program? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> you downplay that, but that's a very important part of the story. I'm not letting you leave that one out because folks at home <laughs> want to hear that stuff. So you're going to have to fess it up. You worked your tail off. Don't make me I, tell the story. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> it's right, it's okay to whole... humble brag, Mike. I've been doing it for seven <laughs> years on this podcast, and it got me this far, so you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, the captain said that. And then as soon as we got into port in Tyler knows we're rarely home. We're rarely important Honolulu. But every minute I was home, I started taking flight lessons. And then go back out to sea, come back, flight lessons, back out to sea. And then one day the um, captain found out that I was taking flight lessons. And she had some political pull. And she said, if, if this is something I really want to do, she'll help me out and I'll get to know aviation. Um, so, yeah, she helped me out. And I guess that's a testament to looking for mentors in places that nobody else looks. Why do I say that? Oh, a captain's always a mentor. No, nope, nope. Captain on the ship is, especially this one, did not give the impression of wanting to help anybody. Uh, but because I went out of my way to make her look good, basically, yeah. <laughs> I ran around the bridge eight times if she told me to do five, you know. Uh, because of that, she was willing to help me out. So she was kind of like my first mentor and she helped me get into aviation. Uh, then knew a Patriot flight training. And then I started flying twin otters up in, uh, up in Alaska, kind of bush piloting. And it was a blast. But, um, one, one thing I want to add in there though, that I, I don't want to skip over is that sometimes that's the greatest type of mentor you can have is that silent, that one that really isn't trying to mentor you, but you take such value away from that, in, that relationship what you said is, is important. You did what you needed to do and genuinely because you're the type of guy that wants to do it right. Um, you don't cut corners ever. You're very thorough and very, um, dedicated to your craft, whatever it may be, whether you're, I don't care whether you're snowboarding or you're doing a spreadsheet for the fund. You're, you don't accept, uh, just done. It's gotta be done properly. That that's important. And I think that in a way, you came to Noah with those skills. You probably picked those skills up. You were raised that way, maybe. And then it, it, it got better as you got older and got more mature. Because I see that in you now. It's like that's one of the beauties of having you involved, with, you and I doing this fun together, is that I am clearly not a details person, and you absolutely are. So it creates great balance between us where not that I have you, you're running, I'm, you're running all over the place, cleaning up my messes. I'm not that bad. I don't think, am I? <laughs> but, no, no. um, we, you are very detail oriented and you will do like when you're working with the captain in this case up out in the ship, she challenged you hard and she pushed you hard to see basically how far you were willing to go to, to better yourself within the organization. And I did the same thing just not in a uniform. I started as an able-bodied yeah. seaman. They told me that I would never 
I had to be with Noah for 10 years before they would even consider me for chief. And I made chief in 24 months. Um, actually less than 24 months, more like 18 months. I don't know, 24 months is when I made chief. But uh, I did the same thing. And that's one of the reasons I think we get along so well is that we're go-getters. We don't sit around waiting for people to hand us shit. We go get it. So there, you know, you you leave. No, that you get the. I don't think it was. Uh, I don't want anybody to take away from what you had said, Mike. That Mike sucked up and then got got a a, a gimme. You are you earned that gimme. I know that's how I. One of the reasons I I started paying attention to you and learning more about you and becoming friends with you way back then is because you weren't just a you weren't a, a suck up by any means. You were a guy that went out there and got it done. In other words, if it needed to be done, you did it. You busted your ass, and you deserved to get into flight school, and that's pro- that's probably why you excelled at it because that's a definitely a different different layer of responsibility. I've seen what happens with some NOAA Corps officers in the Marine side. It's like they couldn't drive a ship to save their lives, and they just do it long enough to get a shore assignment so they can move on to their next job. But as a pilot, you don't have as many opportunities for mistakes. So, you know, first of all, kudos to you for. Have, earning that opportunity because you absolutely earned it. So I'll shut up now. You get to fl- you get to flight school. You got your private pilot's license, right? And then you went to NOAA flight school. That's right. Yep. Okay. And then you get to out here to Lakeland or McDill Air Force Base, and, th- and then what happens? Yeah. So we were at uh, NOAA was at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida, for decades. Before that, it was actually Homestead, Florida. Oof. But. Uh, but Hurricane Andrew kind of chased us north. That anyway, was, that was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> you wouldn't have liked Homestead, Mike. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is an armpit, let me tell you. So the big problem was everybody was so everyone lived in Tampa. Everyone loves Tampa, and uh, Lakeland has grown since then. But at the time, Lakeland was kind of like, oh, Lakeland, there's nothing out there. Yep. Redneck <laughs> Riviera. The excitement of the big city. Um, so a lot of people were grumbling. A lot of people were threatening to quit uh, mechanics, uh, maintainers, electricians, whatever, uh, because they didn't want to move. So problem. Boom. I see a problem. I read Kiyosaki's book. Think of what I have that I can use for free to make money. Ah, there you go. And so I woke up, I remember in the middle of two o'clock in the morning, because it always happens that way. And I was like, I've got it. Uh, 10 years prior, I used to work for the Marine Corps civilian. And I remember one of my friends that I met, I saw him driving this big white van to work and he had van was full of people. I was like, <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> He's like, Oh, I started a van pool. And he told me, he says, I, I do the van pool and the government pays me money to drive myself and my coworkers to work. I'm like, tell me more about it. So basically the federal government, wants to incentivize reduced emissions. They want people to take the bus, the train, and they'll pay for your ticket. However, if there's no bus or no train, what's the other option? They leave open the van pool, which is basically a big 15 passenger van. And how the wording is written is you cannot pay for a driver. So the actual employees who are riding the van, they take turns driving. So I was like, oh, wow. So you don't pay anybody? Right. <laughs> the, the passengers actually drive the van and the government pays you? Oh, my God. So then fast forward. Now the same thing is happening with Noah. Everyone's threatening to quit. So I go to the commanding officer. I'm like, Captain, this is what I would like to do. I've got the van. 
I've done all the paperwork. I've done all the research. I want to set up this van pool. And what do you think? Oh my gosh, that's a fantastic idea, Lieutenant. Now all these people who are bitching and moaning that they don't want to move. Now you can, your van service could take them to work and the government pays for it. So they literally get to work for free. And oh the government pays me money. That's genius. Oh, so I got the blessing of the captain, everything. Then I got an attorney, of course. Oh, yeah. Because um, being a government vendor, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you were a government employee, too. It's like, yeah. as a government employee, you sign a paperwork that says you are a peon and you mean nothing. That's right. You will do what you're told. So I got to make sure that um, I'm all legally set with this. So I got everything, all the blessings from the government and everything. So I bought this 15 passenger van uh, for transit. And at the time, these big vans were inexpensive. Yeah. Unlike, unlike now. Uh, so literally I just put in service and I got approval and, uh, basically I filled up the 15 passenger van and the government would pay me, I hate to say it, but $300 a month per passenger. Whoa. Wait a minute. Where's my calculator? (laughs) (laughs) All right. You have my attention. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How many passenger van? 15 passenger van. Times three hundred forty five hundred dollars. I don't need a calculator for that one. Forty five hundred dollars yes, a month. Yes. And your van payment was? I paid cash. Oh. So uh, obviously, I had to set up a um, like a, a gas card, you know. So I had to put the credit card in the van, so they can't use it for anything except gasoline. So I had to restrict it to that, and I got that working. Basically, I set it up, and now my coworkers are driving themselves to work. Um, and I'm, I'm getting paid for it. So obviously the van gets paid off and now I've got a stream I of income. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, everybody was so excited for the van because literally the, if it's not their turn to drive, they're sitting in the back and they're sleeping, going to work for free. So it was, it was what you always talk about. If you find win, 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 win deals where absolutely everybody in, in the party wins it's going to succeed. And it did hundred percent. Yeah. So then I, I left Noah for the airlines and the van kept on moving. <laughs> wow. So now I leave the government and the government is still giving me checks because my van's in service while my former coworkers are driving it. I mean, it was fantastic. Oh my God. That's um, amazing. Everything was going great until COVID. And then of course, uh, besides the pilots, everybody else started working from home so um, nobody was taking the van anymore. So it killed that. I'm like, well, the van's paid for. Plus I got a nice profit. Uh, I'm going to use that profit money, which I saved. And I'm going to pay to convert it to a camper van for myself. So that's how I ended up with a free camper van. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I'm still stuck on the cash flow numbers. It's like, let's just riddle me this. Let's just do some quick math here. Let's see. Back then, what year would have been spent when we got this ball rolling? That was uh, 2016. So 2016, what do you think? Interest rates for a car loan were probably about 4 to 5%. Let's just do 5% for quick math. Uh, what was the purchase price of the van? Do you remember? 25000 Oh, that's just crazy. I mean, that's I mean, oh, that, yeah. that van is that same van is $50,000 right now, which blows my mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It was different then, for sure. And let's say you financed it for sixty months. Would you agree that's about 
legit back then what the term was. I know right now they'll do it for 120 years and all that, and you can keep getting car loans. But <laughs> let's go back to when life was a little more real. <laughs> let's say we finance this thing at 5% interest at, for five years, 60 months. We put no money down. We finance the whole thing at 25 grand, which back then you could do that too. Payment would be under $500 a month. So let's throw insurance on there. Let's call oh, it yeah. 600 bucks a month with insurance. Um, about $125 a month for insurance. And as you can, we can go back and forth all day long about how much does insurance cost, but just humor me. So it's $600 a month. You're taking down $3,500 a month is what we said, right? Or $4,500 a month. Oh my God. That's all you could, a a person that had some sort of financial fiscal responsibility could just live on that profit on that all, all by itself. I had to. Yeah. <laughs> my, as a first year airline pilot, you make peanuts. So I was literally had to work. I had to live off some of that, uh, that profit. And oh so God. it helped keep me afloat. But the wait, that's not all, is it? There's more. It sounds like a funnel, doesn't it? Like a sales funnel, but wait, there's more. <laughs> if you act now, because that wasn't, a, that wasn't enough for you because that's not the only time that you've made money off of a vehicle. That's yeah, that's right. That's right. See, I remember stuff. You think I'm old and stupid, but I'm not. I remember stuff. Well, it may be stupid, but when I actually am old too, but that's a whole other story. So you got to yeah. tell us the story about Turo because I see this all over the place. And I think to myself, you know, when I see a bunch of folks doing YouTube videos on things, half the time I'm like, yeah, there's a, that's bullshit, but you actually did it. So I want to hear about that too. Yeah. So it all started because I always wanted to own a BMW. I remember one of my best friends in high school, his first car was a brand new BMW. Like, well, you son of a, (laughs) right. Like, but, but it was an awesome drive. I'm like, I want one one day. But after learning what I did with the van and then Robert Kiyosaki, I'm like, how can I do it for free? Uh, So there are services right now where you can uh, take over a lease, assume a lease from somebody else. Now you go to BMW, if you want to lease a car, you got to put a lot of money down, mostly in fees to the damn dealership and and the manufacturer whatnot. So if you assume somebody else's lease, they've already paid for all that. And literally you just take over their monthly payments. And a lot of times those monthly payments are negotiable, especially if they're in dire straits, if they need it. Right. Right. So I found a soccer mom who lost her job. Uh, she was down in Miami, and uh, basically, I, I took a car. I assumed the lease. A fairly easy process, by the way. If anybody wants to do this, it's very easy. I highly recommend it. The lease is nice because as long as it's cash flowing, uh, it's not yours. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. So at, yeah, I just I looked at it as a, a risk thing. Hey, I return it back to BMW in four years. Wash my hands of it. So as soon as it hits 36,000 miles, that's when all the maintenance happens, uh, especially with plastic cars like Mercedes and BMWs. I know a lot of people are going to hate me for that, but it's true. Those cars fall apart right after the warranty. I don't have it for after the warranty. So I looked at it as a risk reward. The lease is low risk for me, especially since I'm already cash flowing and I've got nothing down and I've got no stupid fees. I just take over the monthly payment. And when you take over the lease... Are you absolving her of responsibility for the lease at that point? That's correct. Yep. So it's better than a subject too. It's a, it's a full takeover. It's only it's an assumption. So in other it's words, if the, the car gets wrecked, it's on Mike. It's not on uh, that's De- correct. Delilah. 
she she wipes her hands and she cries because she paid all this money down and now I just take over the payments. Nice. So all that front end gobbledygook is on her. You're yep. just picking it up for are you giving her any cash or any equity into the deal or you just took took it over, took Zero. responsibility. Wow. I, I need one of those for a truck because I hate my Jeep now. Oh shoot, yeah, we were just talking about that before we hit the record button. Right. Yeah. By the way, if you want to buy a cash flow guy Jeep. It's for sale, <laughs> but I got to find something to replace it with. Anyway, um, that's brilliant. Yeah. So all of a sudden I got my BMW, I'm driving around and uh, I found out years later, people thought I was wealthier than I was because I was driving this, but I toroed it. I'm an airline pilot. So I'm always at the airport and airports are where people oh, pick up their rental car. God, that's brilliant. So, you know, you always talking, talk about the money is in uh, the systems. Yes. Right. So I created a system. I put a little GPS tracker on it so I can watch where it's going and make, you know, I feel better about it because now uh, if somebody runs off with it, I can call the police. I know exactly where it is. Right. Um, and then I set up the ways for people. Literally, I, I say it's in, you know, row five, lane six at the Tampa parking lot. They come down, they find it. They tell me they're there. I hit a, a button because everything's remote now and I open the doors for them and the keys are inside. Wow. And I literally drive off and I can watch them drive and, and come back. So I, when I go out flying, my car is paying for itself and making money. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm still stuck with it. You can open the doors remotely and all that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, uh, I didn't realize, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was what really helped it. There's other methods, alternative methods, but that way, uh, that I just felt secure in cause like I have full control. Right. If I don't like the person, I'm just not going to unlock, unlock it. But, um, so I know people at home are probably thinking what I'm thinking. Did it come back in one piece or did it just get torn to hell? Oh, great question. Right. So the BMW high end, I learned a lot. People who usually rent high end vehicles, uh, they take better care of them. Really? Believe it or not. Uh, you know, Tyler, you always talk about it's when people perceive value, they get, they have value for it. And what oh, I sound stupid. What do I mean? If you're going to spend $90 a day on a BMW and you've always wanted to rent a BMW, you're going to take care of that. That's true. Uh, so at the same time, concurrently, I tried the experiment again with a Corolla that I bought for like $4,000. <laughs> How did that right? end? <laughs> and, and so I had the BMW on the high end and the Corolla on the low end, right? And the Corolla, I just undercut freaking everybody because I was going to the airport anyway. I made systems where I, I would work. Tyler, uh, <laughs> I'm weird. I like batteries, right? <laughs> a car battery. I love interstate car batteries because the warranty and they just have a great reputation. They've always done me great. That's weird. I do too. That's, all my vehicles really? have interstates, yeah. Yeah, green top, made yep. America, baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so anyway, one day I remember this guy in Tampa, and I know you don't like to Airbnb or rent to locals, and I understand why because it bit me. A local guy wanted to rent my Corolla because it was cheap. Got the GPS tracker. One afternoon, my GPS tracker says power lost, power lost. I'm like what? What? Hour later, power back on. I'm like that's weird, man. Uh, I get the car back, open the hood, and the interstate's gone. Ugh. He replaced it with like a $20 Walmart battery. 
It was used. They used the battery too. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, really. So you, you asked me if the BMW got trashed, but this experiment showed me it's it's the low end. I hate to say the, the people looking for like the Uber cheap. I want to pay almost nothing. Those are the problem, children. Whereas the person paying ninety, hundred, two hundred dollars for a car, they're less of a problem. I agree with that, and I, I can tell you, I've run that experiment on my own rentals, uh, yeah. my vacation rentals, for example. I, when I first got going, I was in, in Tarpon Springs is a is a great community, and the Greeks are pretty good at being entrepreneurs because most of them are, but they experience this thing called race to the bottom. Mm. Um, you had mentioned that when you say you dropped the price. And when I first did my launch, my first Airbnbs, I got caught up in that because I was, I had like hundred percent vacancy. I'm like, crap, you know, I, I just bought furniture for this place. I got to recoup the cost. And I started getting involved in the race to the bottom. And then I decided, no, I'm going to go the other direction just to see what happens. I'm fascinated with psychology. So I raised my rates. I was a hundred dollars a night over my quote unquote competition. Now I wasn't as booked as they were. But they were renting their rooms for their apartments for literally 50 bucks a night. And they were booked all the time. I was running my place for 150 a night, and I would have two out of seven days every week vacant. In the end, I made a hell of a lot more money than they did, even though I had vacancy. So what I've learned is, instead of giving it away, raise the price. It's Vacancy is not a terrible thing. Because the one thing you got to think about is what is your bottom line net at the end of the month? You and I will talk through this when we did the seaport in underwriting down here in Key West is like, well, 70% occupancy is pretty strong, but if it depends on how much we're getting, right? So if we instead focus on getting a higher monthly or a higher nightly rate, let's say we get 400 when everybody else is charging 350 because they have static rates, they don't use dynamic pricing, then in the end you wind up making a lot more money. And that's one of the things I like about it. Now, with the churro thing, can you change the rate dynamically or based on, on uh, rent pressure, or is it you set it and forget it type of thing? At the time, because uh, I believe you use, you use like an algorithm, right, to do dynamic pricing now? I do, yeah. Yeah, at the time, there was no such thing. So it's like you just put the price on and, that, and that's it. Okay, all right. I look I at a lot of different metrics. I use a service to do it, actually. Oh, yeah. I wish I had that then. But it's not foolproof. So I don't believe, and I said this during our investment webinars, those of you that were in our investment webinars, uh, we talked about dynamic pricing. And guys, that's one thing that's one value add. Careful with dynamic pricing. The computer doesn't, it's like AI, right? Mm -hmm. AI is a lot of great resources and a lot of use factors that will be a big benefit to you. But it's not going to replace you. So don't think that it will. For example, we use a service called Price Labs to come up with our pricing. Uh, And Price Labs is very good but it needs monitoring. In other words, sometimes it will come up with false positives and give you some false metrics. So I have certain overrides set into where it won't adjust outside of a certain parameter. So guys don't take the computers. That's why I asked about dynamic pricing. Don't, it's not necessarily a set it and forget it, right? I'm I'm starting to believe Mike and just a little bit off topic. The truly passive income is pretty much impossible these days. I mean, people say passive income, but there's really nothing out there that's passive. I mean, even with your vans, it was active income. I mean, you had to wonder where it is, you know, where's the Corolla, where's the BMW. So maybe guys listen to this episode, focus less on passive because you know, the whole idea of you're going to be at a beach in Sayulita, Mexico, with your toes in the sand. 
uh, with some blonde chick that you never met before. It's just it's not that's not real. You can't do that every single day of the year. Um, number one, you probably get bored. But uh, that's those are freaking home run ideas, Mike. That's awesome. And these are these are actionable too. That's what's cool about it, right? The average person can go do this. Yeah, and I remember you and I were drinking at a bar in Key West because we do that a lot. <laughs> and you told me, well, I, I want, I would like you to share the story again about how how many small deals you turned away. Oh God, yeah, and I and regret those. For a big one. Yeah, I've mm. I've done that a lot. I'm, I hate to say it over the years is. You know, sometimes when you knock it out of the park with a deal and I've not, I'm not, this is not a bragging thing. There's a lesson in this. I've done a couple of deals that were absolute, really crazy home runs. And the problem with that is when I start, when I do a home run for the next undetermined amount of period of time, I start to overlook the real stuff, the gravy, the, the predictable streams of income. There's nothing wrong with, and you guys are underwriting deals right now and you're going, ah, oh, it's 50 bucks a month. It's 50 bucks a month that you really don't have much to do for the 50 bucks a month. It's 50 bucks a month. Like, Mike, you're a pilot. You get the sniffles and pink eye. You can't fly the plane, and they're not going to pay you just because you're charming. You actually have to show up, turn on the APUs, and make it happen. Um, and I can't imagine the stress of being a pilot uh, and, and being concerned about where your next nickel comes from because it's so volatile. COVID happened. You guys got grounded like instantly. Boom, they shut all the planes down. Lots of different things can go on. Had I pulled the trigger on the, I'll call them bread and butter deals where you're not, it's, you know, there's bread and butter and then there's filet mignon. <laughs> and I was focusing on filet mignon and prime rib and not focusing on bread and butter because, you know, bread and butter is like an afterthought. It's what you have before the meal. I didn't give those over the years enough credit. But if you start to look at that small stuff, that 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, whatever it may be. And you start to duplicate that. It's like, oh, I made 50 bucks doing a thing. Well, can you do that thing again? Yeah. Can you hire someone to do that thing? Yeah, but then I got to lose 25 bucks if I hire them. And you overcome, you, you, you look at that and go, that's not enough money to be worth it. I beg to differ. And I want to throw a little curveball that's tie actually does tie in here. Is it, Over the years, for many, many years, you guys know I've been licensed as a real estate agent for, I don't know, 20 plus years, long time. What years is to 2023? I got licensed in year 2000. So 23 years I've kept a real estate license. I let it lapse for a while because I was on the ship out in the Pacific of Mike and I didn't really think I needed a broker's license out there. But one of the things that I've done wrong all those years is that I was very laser focused on what's in it for me. And it's funny, you probably, mm-hmm. you're, you're probably looking at me right now going, what, I, of course, what's in it for you? You've, that's how you built your thing. It's like, well, I'm learning even today, and I'll tell you what I mean. I am no longer in the Tampa market. I haven't set foot in Tampa except for to go see our investment property. Um, I go there several times a year, but I don't. I'm not there long enough to do to be a full time realtor, right? To be showing houses and that type of stuff. And the same thing goes. I'm here in Key West. I live in Key West full time now. But my wife and I want to travel. We're getting ready to do a 45 day trip out west, uh, for example. And you might think to yourself, well, that means you have to stop earning revenue. I don't have to stop earning revenue at all. Matter of fact, nothing needs to change. And what, what's different is what I choose to do. Matter of fact, what your story, Mike, is a great tie back to that is you were busy learning how to be a pilot. Meanwhile, the van was out doing your job, earning money. 
Its job was to make deposits for you so that you could focus being a pilot. And not to take away from the human element of that, but I have an agent that works with me here in Key West, and I have an agent that works with me in Tampa. I actually have two agents in Tampa. And the benefit of that is, now I'm a big believer in if I pay people really, really, really well, and I make what they do very, very easy and systematized, generally speaking, they probably won't fail me because I empower them to succeed. So what I do is I pay them 50% of the real estate commission. That's fact. I secure the customer. I qualify the client, whether it be a listing or a, or a buyer. I qualify them. I get them, if they're a buyer, I get them pre-approved. I do all the preliminary work that I can do from a laptop, from a computer, or my cell phone, anywhere I am in the world. And then when they're all set, ready to buy, and they need a showing, I'll call one of my agents and say, hey, go show them one, two, three, anywhere street. And if they want to buy it, I have an, an, a transaction coordinator that writes up the offer, the paperwork. I go through it, make sure everything's correct. I'll negotiate the deal because I'm usually better at it than the folks that I've run across most of the time. And I, like one of the agents I have in Tampa, she's brand new. So I'll have her on the phone, but I'll do the negotiation. The buyer gets a big win and we get all this extra work done. Now you're thinking, well, Tyler, you're giving up half the commission. Well, yes, but I'm also giving up half the work, actually more than half the work. I'm giving, I'm giving up that extra work. I have a transaction coordinator that charges every other realtor in town 250. I choose to pay her 400. And when she said 250 after a year of working with me, I was like, that you're way too cheap. So I raised her to 300, then 350. Now I just gave her another raise to 400. And the realtor's going, you're crazy paying that, that transaction coordinator $400. Well, know this. My transaction coordinator is the best on the planet. And when I ask her to do something, it's not even a question. So while you're happy that you saved 150 over me, your file's on the left side of her desk. My file's in front of her. And that's the difference, guys, is that you can, when you work smarter, not harder, no such thing as passive. But, Mike, what you've done is you've determined a way to work smarter, putting these vehicles in play, just like I have with staff, You where I brought team in, you brought equipment in, in your case, a robot, right? And in the end, yeah. you create this income. I wouldn't necessarily call it passive. I know it's a sexy buzzword we like to use, but you created another stream of income. So well done, man. Home run. Yeah. And like I mentioned, the the money from the van kept me afloat because I, when I left Noah, I was leaving $130,000 a year. And then I left for the airlines and the first year airlines is tough. I was only making 50. Ouch. So $80,000 difference. The reason why I was able to keep up my lifestyle and everything is because the income from the van. And that's when it really hit me, the importance of multiple streams of income. Amen. Amen. Any parting thoughts before we wrap up, Mike? Uh, yeah, I, I just want to repeat that. I wouldn't say the quote, but the paraphrase from Robert Kiyosaki's book, because literally that's that changed everything for me. Uh, once I realized that it doesn't take that much money to make money, it opened up the doors to everything. Then I met Tyler because I went to a cash flow game event because I wanted to repeat the same thing at a sm slightly larger scale. That's how I met Tyler again the <laughs> after time. seven years. The part, second time. Part two. <laughs> That's right. So uh, remember, it changed my life. What do you have right now? Skills, something in your mind, an idea, a physical thing that will cost you very little to maybe nothing that will be free that could potentially make you money. 
doesn't have to be a lot of money, but make you money. That's good. That's good advice. That's good advice. And guys, Mike's going to probably strangle me for this, but knowing him, he's a giver. If you have more questions on this topic, I think this is a fantastic topic that a lot of you listening to the show can benefit from. If you guys want to get on the phone, you guys have that ask Tyler link. Um, send me an email at, uh, actually you can email Mike directly, Mike at cashflowguys.com. M I K E. We try to keep it simple around here. Mike at cashflowguys.com. And I bet you I could talk uncle Mike into getting into a phone, getting on a phone call with y'all uh, and, and give you some pointers as to how he think, how he processes these opportunities. If you've got a little bit of cash, maybe you got some money sitting in IRA, something like that. You want to get it moving. You want to do something creative. One of the things we talked about with Matt, I talked about with Matt Sorensen a couple of weeks ago is what does the investor do that's got not enough money to buy an investment or you can't get into a syndicate because everybody's got a 50K minimum. What does the 10, 20, 30K guy do? What can they do? Well, the answer is a lot. And if you want to brainstorm some of that, Mike at cashflowguys.com, send an email. Keep in mind, he's busy running a fund and being a pilot. So, you know, he'll get, he'll send you his appointment, his calendar link uh, via email, get on his calendar, have a conversation with him. Same thing with, as it goes with me. If you want to talk to me, you can go to ask uh, cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. Actually, what we'll do is we'll make a link for you, Mike. Somebody remind me uh, cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Mike for people that want to talk to you about what's going on. Maybe we got, I know we have a lot of pilots that listen to the show. Um, you guys want to connect with Mike directly. The best way to do that is to go to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Mike, and that will go directly to a link for Mike's calendar. If you want to get on the phone with him and you don't want to talk to the old man, that's fine too. Um, you know, I live in Key West, so there's lots of shit I could be doing here and having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Call Mike. <laughs> and I think we'll wrap it up right there. So as always, guys, I hope that you got, if you couldn't get value out of this episode, then, well, I, can't, I got nothing for you. Maybe you should just listen to Bigger Pockets and let watch them play grab ass for 20 minutes on an episode. But hey, guys, here's the thing. <laughs> You got to take massive action if you want massive results. You can't just be okay with status quo. The world is changing whether you like it or not. You're either going to take part in the change, outpace the change, outsmart the change, or you're going to become a victim of the change. Don't be the guy or girl that becomes the victim of change. A lot of stuff's going to happen in the future. Lots of different ways to make money coming up. But that involves you taking massive action, and that starts today. Guys? Catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race. <laughs>